0: This podcast is brought to you by the IIEA, sharing ideas, shaping policy. Good afternoon, everybody. I'm very pleased to welcome you today to uh, this webinar uh, on the Ukraine war and critical energy infrastructure, the growing hybrid threats to Europe. Uh, I'm particularly pleased to welcome Professor Sarah Lohman, uh, who is Acting Professor in the Henry M. Jackson School for International Studies at the University of Washington. And she's been generous enough to uh, give up her time from her schedule to speak to us, and particularly as she is coming from Seattle, where it's uh, a lot uh, earlier than it is uh, in our comfort zone here uh, in, in Dublin. Um, Dr. Uh, Professor Lohman will speak to us for about 25-30 minutes and then we will go to the question and answer with our audience. Uh, Just the usual notes, which I think most people uh, are aware of at the moment, you'll be able to join the Q&A function on Zoom, which you you should see on your screen, and uh, please feel free to send your questions in throughout the session as they occur to you, and um, we will uh, put them to Dr. Loman as soon as she has finished her presentation. Uh, and a reminder that today's Q&A and presentation are both on the record. Uh, in, this, in this situation um, and in the lead up to the invasion of Ukraine over a year ago, the critical energy infrastructure of Ukraine and its allies has been targeted, both through cyber and kinetic means. Uh, emerging and destructive technologies such as drones and hypersonic missiles have been used on the battlefield and cyber attacks and disinformation campaigns against partner states are on the rise. In her remarks, Dr. Lohmann will discuss the emerging methods and media being used against Ukraine and its European allies and what remains to be done to keep critical infrastructure and public safe in this hybrid warfare environment. And we in Ireland have not escaped uh, and our HSE was subject to the target um, of cyber attack, which has been traced back to Russia. Let me just formally introduce uh, Professor Lohman. She is the acting assistant professor in Henry M. Jackson School for International Studies. And her two new books, What Ukraine Taught NATO About Hybrid Warfare, uh, produced in November 2022 and Countering Terrorism on Tomorrow's Battlefield were published by the U.S. Army War College Press during her visiting professorship there at the end of 2022. Her current teaching and research focus on cyber and energy security and NATO policy and previously she served as the Senior Cyber Fellow with the American Institute for Contemporary German Studies at uh, John Hopkins University where she managed projects which aim to increase agreement between Germany and the United States in improving cybersecurity and cyber norms. And uh, Professor Lohmann has also worked in Germany, in Munich, where she served as a university instructor uh, at the University of the German Army, the Bundeswehr. And she, there she taught cybersecurity policy and international human rights and political science, and got her doctorate there. And prior to her tenure, she was press spokesman for the U.S. Department of State uh, for Human Rights, as well as for the Bureau of Near Eastern Affairs. And before her government service, she was a journalist and a Ford bright scholar. Uh, she has published in many books uh, and uh, has written over a thousand articles in international press outlets on uh, digital transformation, redesigning organization and concepts for the connected society. With that introduction, uh, Professor Lohman, you are most welcome again and the floor is yours.
1: Well, thank you very much, Ambassador, and it is a great honor to be here today. Uh, I want to especially thank the Institute of International and European Affairs for inviting me um, and to congratulate you on your recent publications and testimony on national security threats very relevant to today's talk. And and thank you, especially um, to Ambassador Cross for moderating today, also to Ian Fitzgerald for organizing. Um, I want to break down my talk today into several different pieces. So I'm going to be talking about hybrid warfare from multiple angles. I'm going to start by defining it and how it's being used in the current Ukraine conflict Uh, with its three main landmarks. And then I'm going to briefly talk about China's role and how drones are really impacting the battlefields as an emerging technology. I will briefly go over the patterns we've seen in year one and now at the beginning of year two uh, of this conflict. I will look at the, the current threats to energy, critical infrastructure and other systems, and then look at solutions addressing energy independence uh, cyber hardening as well as the undersea cable discussion. Um, so briefly, uh, where, uh, where am I getting my information? So, um, I have just returned uh, as was mentioned from the Army War College uh, doing a secondment there for almost two years, which sent me to Europe. During this time, I was, um, on secondment uh, as part of the army. So uh, there you see me on the right-hand side, uh, uh, jumping, off the, uh, jumping off the side of uh, the Alps with, uh, with the military unit there. So this was interesting for a former diplomat to see this part of the world um, from military base view, but I was going and looking at energy critical infrastructure across Europe um, and looking at the ways that we are cyber hardening and this was even uh, long before the invasion. So, going through different NATO member states, looking at um, how different European countries were ensuring that their energy critical infrastructure uh, was secure. As part of this, we were uh, um, myself and the co lead picture there at NATO headquarters, we were reporting back to NATO um, as part of uh, our NATO Science and Technology Organization project. Um, This project was looking specifically at ensuring energy independence, and my role was looking at uh, the cyber angle, ensuring that our energy critical infrastructure is cyber secured. Um, As such, I was providing recommendations as a cyber subject matter expert, um, both at those uh, military bases, but uh, as well to to NATO headquarters. so that's just a little bit about where uh, where I've received my research. So when we talk about hybrid warfare, what are we really talking about? Uh, so the NATO definition looks at hybrid threats that combine both military and non-military means. These are both covert and overt means. These include disinformation, includes in cyber attacks, economic pressure, and deployment of irregular armed groups, as well as regular forces. Uh, So the impact that we've seen from this hybrid warfare has led to an energy crisis across Europe. As uh, most are well aware, it's led to food shortages due to um, some of the challenges with getting grain out from, from Ukraine. It's led to supply chain issues. The aspect I focused on with the hybrid warfare was how it's targeting energy critical infrastructure. Um, so both the kinetic attacks, but as well the cyber operations that would be targeted at energy critical infrastructure. Um, and what we found was that sometimes even the information operations and the economic coercion was, that was used had just as much of a percentage of impact as some of the other forms of attack Uh, Just to complete the picture, as mentioned in the definition, both regular and irregular forces, um, this has been the case in Ukraine since 2014, with regular presence of separatist militias there in Ukraine. Uh, Everyone's well aware of the Wagner Group's presence there, uh, especially as we've been looking uh, at Bakhmut in the last months and everything happening in this tragic invasion. So the main patterns, the three main landmarks I found in my research looked at um, and responded to the emerging technology environment, cyber attacks in tandem with the kinetic attacks, as well as the impact of disinformation and malign influence, as well as the partnership with China. In terms of the emerging technology environment, what we found was that uh, looking at different European countries and how the technology was emerging, how smart grids and renewables were feeding into traditional grids but were not cyber secured. How the um, IT and operational technology, uh, the union of those two, creates additional vulnerabilities when not cyber hardened. Much of the newer technology, not having adequate cyber early warning systems, not having adequate cybersecurity built into the front end, which is absolutely necessary as we look at expanding renewables across Europe. Um, So everything from wind farms to solar um, to some of the the newer internet of things um, that the smart grids uh, are connected to All of this very crucial to have cybersecurity uh, being used. I also looked in my research at the the use of uh, drones as well as what is being used to counter them on the battlefields and looked at how uh, Ukraine and NATO partners had been repeatedly tested and attacked even in two years up before the invasion. Uh, So what started as initial hacking um, attempts ended up actually causing a loss of energy. So uh, many were aware of the hacking of satellites which then caused a wind farm to to be affected, then targeted attacks of wind turbines uh, causing loss of energy, also of gas pumps, of pipelines, of coal and thermal plants as target all through the cyber sphere. Um, This is not something that just happened overnight. There was a testing period. So starting in uh, 2015, 2016, Moscow was already performing test runs in the United States and Germany, um, not to mention Ukraine itself, when uh, Ukraine was left without heat in the middle of winter. So intruding on the grids, intruding on oil and gas, infrastructure, um, intruding on different types of critical infrastructure, including nuclear and a number of utilities, in some cases with future destructive exploits uh, yet to happen. So uh, some of them were malicious espionage. Some of them were actually hacks that caused loss of power in the case of Germany specifically, um, in the case of US, in one, one period of time, uh, half, a different, half a dozen different utilities uh, affected. So this was very practiced. It was something that over a period of uh, a number of years had been tested and uh, was then launched uh, in full form then in the early months of the war. The first year of the war, we did see cyber attacks in tandem with kinetic. So often within a 12 to 24 hour period, um, you would see kinetic attacks and cyber attacks on energy critical infrastructure. The, The physical attacks timed with those cyber attacks specifically on Ukraine, as well as its partners, also timed around specific negotiations. If they didn't get what they wanted, Um, if there was uh, a support for Ukraine, this was often the consequence. As I mentioned before, disinformation um, operations and malign influence often had a percentage impact. For example, uh, focused on Poland, focused on Lithuania, on the publics there, uh, leading in some cases to concrete loss of energy. So a disinformation campaign about a uh, leaking nuclear plant that uh, wasn't actually leaking, causing coal workers not to show up for work because their their, their families were concerned about their welfare, um, causing that coal plant to shut down. So loss of energy in Poland, where uh, it, it really lives from that uh, coal industry. We also saw China helping to soften the impact of sanctions. And I want to get into a little bit about how China has aided Russia in this particular war specifically by um, sending them drones, by sending them tracking technology uh, for parts of Chinese drones that had been used by Ukrainians earlier in the war and by controlling uh, the supply chain across Europe. All right, so when we talk about Autonomous weapons, we often are thinking about uh, drones, specifically uh, drones are semi-autonomous systems that are going to have more impact on operations uh, across Europe. Uh, that's a, a prediction by the NATO Science and Technology Organization, but we have to look no further than the current conflict to really understand how it's having a huge impact. So. Um, The drones are really changing the battlefields. We're aware that uh, Chinese exporters have sold uh, $12 million worth of drones uh, to Russia since the invasion. Uh, That's 70 different Chinese exporters. Um, In addition, they were very successful in helping Russia to track uh, drones being used by Ukrainians, as well as their operators, uh, very tragically. And so this is another way that they've been providing this uh, lethal help. Uh, we're aware that both the US and um, the United Kingdom have been providing uh, Ukraine with uh, both uh, short and long range uh, drones to help both uh, help them be their, their eyes and ears, so to speak. Um, but there have been uh, attack drones as well. So. This is something that's happening on on both sides, um, but also should be considered as part of the long-term equation as we're looking at emerging technology and what is impacting the battlefields. I wanna talk briefly about patterns that we have seen there in Ukraine um, in the first year and then in the second year. So in terms of Russian leadership patterns, initially you did see very much a focus on kinetic, on the bombings. Um, So as I mentioned, timed with cyber, but leading with that kinetic force, the explosions, this is something that the Russian leadership wanted to focus on. Um, At the same time, uh, using that espionage long game with long-term consequences. So in many cases, the intrusions on European countries, critical infrastructure and their remote control systems um, have not fully caused uh, damage yet, but uh, we're aware that it could in the future. Um, we were pleasantly surprised by Ukraine's growing cyber maturity. They took 2000, uh, the, the initial energy grid attack um, from a number of years ago and really used that to focus their cyber maturity. They had an extensive cyber education then offered in universities across the country. Uh, So a new cadre of young leaders in cyber security. We also saw that they shifted after experiencing what they experienced with um, Crimea in 2014 and then the hacking of their grid following. Um, They decided in many cases to allow their industrial control systems to operate on manual. So, whereas um, in Western Europe, much of uh, our systems are operated um, virtually and uh, the Internet of Things greatly plays a role, they recognize that this expands the attack service through the cybersphere and that this was a great challenge and so, Uh, Russia was not able to provide the damage that had been expected in this way from a number of their critical infrastructure systems due to the fact that they had resorted back to manual. In addition, they did receive support from allies that helped with rapid response forces when uh, large cyber attacks were known, um, and they also received uh, support from the hacking community. You, You saw that early on. In the war, that there was a call from leadership for help on that end, and and they sh- uh, showed up in mass. All right. So, what impact is this having across Europe? Uh, as we looked at the different critical infrastructure, we found that there really was insufficient cyber early warning systems for many European countries. So, I outline this country by country in my book, but. Um, This is of great concern because, of course, the EU had passed a level of standards, and several countries were keeping to those standards, but it was not equal across the European Union. So, uh, there had been increased cyber threats to energy-critical infrastructure because of that lack of uh, up-to-date technology. This, in turn has caused vulnerabilities along the energy supply chain. And then finally, um, that impact of vulnerabilities has a direct impact on military effectiveness across Europe. So um, with the potential uh, for different um, information sensors um, to be hacked on energy critical infrastructure, uh, this continuing to be a challenge to this day um, so that cyber hardening, very very necessary. What ended up happening now, and as we go into year two, is that we saw a marked turning point in cyber attacks related to the conflict in Ukraine, with this very clear transition from a cyber war that was focused on Ukraine to a high intensity hybrid cyber war across Europe. So you were starting to see. <clears throat> the cyber war targeting Poland and the Baltics and Nordic countries in particular, with an increasing focus on critical national infrastructure. This includes aviation, this includes energy, healthcare, banking, as well as public services. So uh, you saw targeted destruction campaigns. So, again, going from year one, where year one was focused on espionage, was focused on a timing with kinetic attacks to year two with this targeted destruction campaign, Um, pro-Russian hacktivists coming in onto the scene, also using denial of service attacks to make servers temporarily unavailable and um, inaccessible and to disrupt services across all of those sectors. So this was part of Russia's larger strategy to engage in information warfare as a way to really wear down the public. um, And also they targeted private organizations as well. So what does this new attack geography look like? Uh, At the beginning of the conflict, the majority of incidents were focused on Ukraine. And um, then you saw this transitioning Uh, to EU countries, and those EU countries seeing a sharp increase in uh, conflict-related incidents in the last half year. So um, Thales did a fantastic report on this. I want to give credit where credit is due, breaking down by country, where we've seen this increase across EU countries, um, specifically in year two So, In the first quarter of 2023, the overwhelming majority of incidents, that's 80% of incidents, have been inside the European Union. Um, These activists specifically targeting Baltic countries, uh, Estonia, Latvia, and Lithuania. um, In this breakdown by fails, 157 of their incidents In uh, the Nordic countries, uh, close second with 95 incidents in Sweden, Norway, Denmark, and Finland, and then uh, Germany coming after that. Um, So a lot of the incidents obviously being unreported. Those are just the the publicly reported figures. Um, 61% of those being uh, traced back to pro-Russian hacktivist groups in particular groups like Anonymous Russia, KillNet and Russian hackers teams. Um, Now, these are groups that wanna take uh, basically credit for what they're doing for their work. And um, so we've seen uh, an incredible increase in this retribution across European Union countries. All right, that takes us up to the current time Now this map on the right was a map I created as part of the book um, together with uh, several of my students, one of them a colonel, um, another uh, a student from one of my classes. And uh, we mapped out each of these European countries where we perceived uh, threats. And again, according to some open source uh, information, we created these back in 2021. As to where we uh, were predicting threats within six months, that's what you see in red in um, orange within a year and within yellow two plus years, these were finished in uh, June of 2021. So there you see uh, off the c- Northern coast of Germany in red, the North Sea wind farms. Well, that is the first thing that Russia targeted. Uh, in the South, you see an unstable grid uh, also with challenges from the internet of things, unstable in terms of, uh, it's a very aging grid, but links with, uh, an, through the cybersphere. And so uh, a broader attack surface, as well as uh, changing technology in terms of storage being a challenge as well. So we're going from the threats that we saw, that we had predicted that unfortunately actually came true and this was highlighted in a number of the country maps you see throughout the book uh, of, of wind farms and a lot of the newer technology being targeted and you see that moving across the north now and as you are aware moving to the northwest uh, with cyber attacks targeted uh to the uk to U- uh, ireland um so One of the challenges being this this, uh, fleet of spy ships operating in the Nordic waters. So with Sweden, Denmark, Norway, and Finland initially uh, reporting on this, um, with these uh, boats gathering intelligence, they reported over the last decade. So using that underwater surveillance equipment to map the key sites, um, specifically these Russian vessels in military training areas, but interestingly also close to energy critical infrastructure. So close to those gas fields, uh, going by small airports, going by important hubs for the Norwegian Armed Forces, for example, um, and also uh, areas where NATO was conducting military exercises at sea. So here in the the left-hand side, you see the picture of, of the, um, the, the guard there on the Admiral Wladmirski. This was supposedly a, a boat that was conducting underwater research uh, expedition. However, um, this is usually not what the academics look like uh, when they are on uh, such uh, expeditions. So. This caused a lot of questions, uh, you know, why do we have soldiers on on academic uh, research uh, expeditions? In addition, we saw very close observation of wind farms, um, also in the Naval training area of uh, Swedish armed forces. And, And as you looked at what was going on with the wind farms, specifically, once again, looking at those remote control systems, how the industrial control systems are linked back to the wind farms providing the energy, if there are ways to hack those, if there are ways to disrupt that form of energy. Um, So these investigations um, by Dutch intelligence officials, by the Norwegians, uh, by the Finns, um, by the Swedes, all reporting back, they're seeing these challenges with the command and control structure of the windmill farms in terms of the Russian ships loitering around those areas of the windmill uh, parks. What does this have to do with the UK and what does this have to do with Ireland? And so we're seeing similar things, uh, loitering around the undersea cables um, and and that warning again coming from NATO, from NATO's intelligence chief that, uh, that Russia is targeting the undersea infrastructure. So uh, again, in response to uh, some of these nations providing support to Ukraine um, and a large number, as you know, of those subsea communications cables running under Irish controlled waters, why does that concern the rest of Europe really because of that large amount of European data. Ireland alone hosting at least 30% of all that European data. Um, So anything happening to those undersea cables can actually be a challenge for the rest of Europe. Um, Do I have time briefly to talk about solutions or am I over already? Ambassador. Okay, I'll I'll get into Sorry. it and then, oh, go ahead.
0: Yeah, you go ahead, Sarah. What? Yeah, you. Okay, had, uh... so
1: so so we came up with a few solutions to address these challenges. Um, so you'll you'll see in the book that several of the solutions provided were specifically addressing uh the the shortfalls in terms of energy. Um, one of the the challenges being that uh as you look at different European countries, if for example, a host energy grid was hacked, that would also affect military bases in those European countries. Um, So that dependence on a host critical infrastructure with those supplies being compromised, that of course, affecting everything from telecommunications to aviation, to logistics, to transportation. So a few of the things we looked at was um, small modular reactors. um, These, of course, being transportable and also uh, allowing to um, be able to provide for a great amount of energy. One of the challenges, of course, is where do you put them? Uh, You can't put them near the battlefield, obviously. and, And so on the security side, Um, NATO was definitely not at the place yet where they were comfortable with these uh, traveling around the European Union um, or any of the European countries, but uh, a a position for the future. It's very well developed. Um, This is something that uh, where the technology is there and won't take as long as some of the renewables to develop. So it's a solution that's there if we can figure out the safety issue. Um, The other thing that we looked at intensively was to what extent microgridding and islanding would help with energy independence. So a microgridding being a, a small grid, like a neighborhood size, a military base size, um, this is already being done in some countries and states, especially where they have lots of sunshine. And then islanding being the process by which you separate from the main grid, and you are able to have your own energy source. Now, the challenge with that is that looking at grids across uh, a number of the NATO member states, cybersecurity was often not built into the front end. So once again, if you island, uh, but you don't have the cybersecurity, then the adversary can attack that uh, smaller grid as well. So that being still being a challenge. Uh, however, this can be a solution if as a few isolated bases did, you are able to build cybersecurity in on the front end. In most of the European uh, microgrids that we looked at, this wasn't the case. One of the the most easy to implement solutions uh, would be allowing for a new generation of cyber early warning system. And why do I say that? It's because you can implement this on the front end um, to your energy critical infrastructure And unlike the anomaly detection systems that are basically the standard today, which look back at the types of attacks that have happened in the past and prepare for them in the future, the cyber early warning systems and this new generation uses virtualization, artificial intelligence, and machine learning to look forward, to learn from itself, even as attacks are developing and becoming new every day, and to ward off those attacks from energy critical infrastructure. And then finally, going back to the challenge that we're seeing in the Nordics, the undersea uh, cell rapid response force has already been created for the Nordics specifically. Um, NATO has uh, invited Ireland to be a part of that. This would protect the energy critical infrastructure and uh, you know any of those off coast uh, underwater sea cables as well. Um, this is a force working together both on uh, Navy end, aviation end, and, and uh, to physically protect those structures and also to monitor them. Uh, so this being something that's already in place that would just need expanded cooperation. Uh, those are a few of the solutions we looked at. I was so pleased to be here today and I really look forward to your questions. This podcast is brought to you by the IIEA, sharing ideas, shaping policy.